You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. Welcome in to the Sports Objective. It's one of our favorite times of year as we're less than hard to believe, less than two weeks away from baseball season, that being college baseball. I want to bring in my good buddy Kyle from LaGrange Barber. How are you, dude? What's going on, Dave? Yeah, it's good to be sitting here uh, less than two weeks away from the start of college baseball season. You know, pirate basketball is not always the most fun sport to follow. So uh, as we sit here, as uh, as we record this on, on Carolina Duke Day, and I really don't give a crap. I'm looking forward to uh, playing uh, George Washington in uh, less than two weeks in baseball. And Bubba Rosenbaum, glad to have you, my friend, all the way in the great China Grove, North Carolina, near Charlotte. Yeah, um, fired up to talk Pirate baseball as always, as well as college baseball in general. Uh, as you mentioned, Kyle, and the Pirates will be taking on A-10 opponent George Washington, um, the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And I uh, will talk East Carolina, the American, a whole lot more um, with our good buddy Mike Rooney from D1 Baseball Rooms. How are you? Good to see you guys. I uh, uh, I didn't know you guys are playing George Washington. I'm in the middle of my Atlantic 10 uh, season preview. I, I would have just had you guys write up George Washington for me. That would have been really, <laughs> really helpful. By the way, your guys' intro gets better every year. I appreciate that. Well done. That was excellent. Thank you. We tried, and Bubba takes a lot of pride in that. We work really hard on that. So Very sharp. Uh, uh, by the way, Runes, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, apparently, uh, they are going from the Colonials, their mascot, to the – is it Hippos, Bubba? Correct. Yeah, yes. Oh, no way. The Hippos. And uh, as odd as that sounds, there actually is a connection. Uh, as one of our loyal viewers and listeners, Johnny Robertson, pointed out. And, um, you know, I'll, maybe we can circle back to that later in the show. But there actually – there is some sort of statue on campus, and there's a tie between George Washington – and um and a hippopotamus so uh so yeah we'll circle back to that but um very interesting nickname and uh kind of minor league like with the right. market marketability that's what oh i was going to bring up uh, rooney that was uh i guess they're trying to sell more uniforms or jerseys and stuff you know hats i just want to know the motivation behind it that you know, the colonials was it a politically correct thing where we can't have anything that would reference in the past although you know when i first heard that they were switching to the hippos next year it's not this year I made fun of it until I, we, we did get the history where there's a statue on campus and something about George Washington touching a hippo's nose. And uh, so at least it, there there is some relevance to the nickname change. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for the hippos. I, I'm glad you guys brought this up. I, I, I need to do some research because when I write these, you know, team capsules, I always use the nickname and I don't want to get that wrong. But yeah, I, I just Washington, D.C. does not seem like a haven for hippos but yeah i'm in <laughs> whatever 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 works that's, that's exactly why when we initially heard uh I, like, like we gotta give i'm gonna actually disagree i think washington dc seems like the perfect place for a bunch of hippos <laughs> well played <laughs> all right touche let's uh let's talk some baseball and uh first of all uh, is there any store overall national storylines that you want to talk about maybe rule changes i know that uh now you can if you want you can add another assistant coach is that this year or is that 
uh, right. after after this season. So the yeah. the volu- there, there's a bunch of stuff that's kind of um, out there, but that's a change we know is happening. That the volunteer coach will disappear after. So basically, August of next year, maybe even July first. But after this season, the volunteers schools will be able to put them on salary and benefits and they'll be able to go out recruiting. So the volunteer position will disappear out. This is the last season of the volunteer position. The other rule changes, you know, the big ones are around the pitch clock. You know, I, I think the, the umpires, you know, the, the, the leadership on the umpiring side, the rules committee, they have decided to double down on the pitch clock. I, I personally think it's a mistake, but um, they've really threatened the umpires with their postseason lives that, hey, if you're not enforcing the pitch clock, uh, the pitch timer, then you're not doing postseason. And, you know, the two things that are going to happen is you can't do that fake pickoff at second base anymore that guys were doing just to reset themselves. Um, and then the other thing is hitters have to be in the box at, at 10 seconds because the pitchers were complaining that the hitters didn't have to be in there till five seconds. And you know, the pitchers were feeling rushed. And so if you're, if you're an, you know, take Cliff, for instance, Cliff's running the offense at third base. He's got 10 seconds to make his decision, get his sign into his players, and they got to get in the box. So I, I am not excited about this part of the season at all. I think it's going to be, I don't know. I I just, it's, and you know, what's funny. The umpires don't even want this, but it, we all want we all want better pace of play and we all want shorter games. I get that part, but I think there's other ways to accomplish it. And man, they are they, they have doubled down on this pitch clock thing. Is the ultimate goal to get more TV exposure and to just to get the game more popular? Is is that the reason for speeding up the game so much or trying yeah. to? I think I think it's fair, Kyle. Like I think I think at the end of the day, I, I'm speculating, right? So let's be clear. I, I'm not like quoting people, but. My speculation is this, that the, the college baseball, you know, hierarchy, they've said to ESPN, hey, like, we'd love our College World Series finals to be on ABC, not ESPN, like softball gets, like women's basketball gets. And ESPN probably has come back to college baseball and said, yeah, we're not, we're not doing four hour games on ABC. Sorry about that. And so, you know, and, and I think they see what happens in the minor leagues and but the thing is, like minor league baseball and college baseball could not be more different. Yeah. They're so different. And so, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the short answer is everybody's seeking better pace of play and shorter games. Um, I just I just don't personally I think there are other ways we could do this. Like, for instance, one of not to take us on a tangent, but one of my thoughts is if you look at baseball data, about half of the pitches in any any one game are thrown with no base runners. Now, again, that changes game to game. But if you look at it over the course of a big sample size, so my thing is, why not have like a hyper-aggressive pitch clock with nobody on base? I mean, there's no excuse at that point, right? Like, get the ball and throw it. Like, we, you got nothing on your plate. You got no bunt defenses. You got no holding runners. Like, that's when we need. And like, we could do like a 14-second pitch clock with nobody on base. But for me personally, when runners are on base, I think it's a little unfair to pitchers to to add this on top. Um, some of the technology is helpful, like those teams that are using the wristbands, where they're they're like that really has increased the pace. So, you know, again, we'll see how it plays out. But I'm I'm a little nervous about what this is going to look like. And don't we have another rule change in regards to celebration? Yes. Yeah, the celebration rule, as I understand it, is <clears throat> we have our we have our rules call with Paul Gillier. Um, the the 14th, so we'll get more clarity then. But as I understand it, you can't have props 
outside of the dugout. So like Virginia Tech with that hammer, yeah. they'll have to do that in the dugout. Um, I, I don't know. It's another, you know, what's the old quote? that the NCA is so mad at Kentucky that they put Cleveland State on probation. Yeah, you know, like the, that's what this is. It's, it, it's idiotic. NCA can't handle big problems and creates more problems than they handle. So, you know, like East Carolina, we had what we called the birdhouse, which was a which was a traffic cone that oh, the, I love the traffic cone. Yeah, wore on their head and uh, it was worn outside of the dugout, so now I guess they'll have to do it in the dugout. Yep. Yeah. yeah it's crazy. It doesn't help and it to me, I love celebration. So, like when they called the NFL the No Fun League, um, because of all the celebr- not celebrating and all that stuff. But uh, as far as the pitch clock is concerned, that the thing that worries me is that it seems like, you know, you're you're either going to love baseball or you're not going to love baseball for whatever reason, and it just seems like we're too gimmicky. We're trying so hard to be gimmicky on getting fans that will probably never. And I'm not trying to like down baseball. I love baseball, but don't take away the elements of the game and the strategy just to try to get fans. You're probably never going to get, that's just my, my two cents. Yeah. I'm with you. It's, it's like, was anybody watching the world series with the Phillies and Astros saying, gosh, I wish this was 12 minutes shorter. Right. Like, no, if the goal, you know, not so much postseason, and I don't know what the goal is. You mentioned ABC for the, for the playoffs or, you know, the finals for the world series. But if the goal is for these conferences and I don't see the NCAA would care about this, but if the goal for these conferences is to try to make baseball a revenue sport and get legitimate TV deals instead of just ESPN Plus and the SEC Network, et cetera, down the road, then okay, if that's the goal, if we can turn this into a revenue sport, you know, five to ten years from now. But I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. I, I think I, I would the only thing I'd say, Kyle, is we kind of are a revenue sport already. Um, you know, obviously it depends on what league you're talking about, what school you're talking about. But if you think about it, you know, that for, for, you know, probably two decades, e, um, ESPN has bought the rights to these Olympic sport championships in, in, from the NCAA. And they, they're basically get everything, you know, you're getting softball, baseball, volleyball, you name it. And ESPN's probably paying like 40 million a year for that. You know, I, I'm not an ESPN economist, but I, I do feel confident saying that is the steal of the century for ESPN. You know, like they're, paying a billion you know billions of dollars per year to just get a sliver of the nfl and so my point being that if the nca that that contracts up after the 24 season Mm -hmm. if the nca people pull sports apart individually like it wouldn't shock me if um espn would pay double that for baseball and softball by themselves I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then you are talking about a revenue generating sport. Now, you know, it's generating revenue for the NCA and, you know, I don't know who else, but, um, you know, in theory, they distribute that, that revenue. But, um, anyway, yeah, more, more to come on that. But, uh, I mean, it, baseball has people's attention, you know, ESPN loves baseball. They love, I should say they love college baseball. Um, so I, I do think there's a lot of positive momentum in, in that regard, but, um, I, yeah, the, the, the pitch timer thing, um, it, it just feels like, uh, you know, we're just double. We don't know what else to do, so we're doing this, and we're doing it, you know, full bore. Yeah, and just one more comment on the revenue thing with, with, with television. I think it all ties into the pitch clock. That's the reason I'm bringing it up, tying it together. You know, last year, just from an East Carolina standpoint, Dave, Bob, I'm sure you all remember this. During the ESPN Plus telecast, we had legitimate commercials like Toyota, whatever, during our games. 
and we would, you know, when we were on the road playing, let's say at Cincinnati, for example, there was no commercials. So it's kind of funny that uh, ESPN is selling ads uh, based on the team that's playing on ESPN Plus. So they're 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 making some money somehow. Yeah, well said. One final thing about the pitch clock topic before we shift over and talk some baseball, um, you know, specifically about East Carolina. That is, um, I know Cliff Godwin when when the topic of the pitch clock came up at recent media days, um, and he was saying that, in his opinion, the I'm trying to remember exactly what the question was that he was answering, but essentially he said, I'm not going to put up a clock, uh, you know, because if you put a clock, then that removes all doubt. Uh, you know, if, if you uh, don't put a clock in Clark LeClaire stadium, then, then uh, there's some gray area there. Yeah. It's interesting in Omaha last year, if you notice they turned the clock off and they had the third base umpire handle it. You know, the third base umpire had basically had this this big remote control. And, I, you know, it, it's what I worry about is the law of unintended consequences. We saw this in 2019. Um, Vandy is in the national championship final, uh, I should say, 2021 when they were playing Mississippi State. And Kumar Rocker got a ball penalty in game three of the national championship series. And, like, what are we doing? You know, like, we're, we're penalizing pitchers for taking too long in the national championship game with a runner in scoring wow. position. Wow. Like that's ludicrous. Like what if that yeah. decided the game? Are, are we okay with that? That was his 39th career start. And the first time he had gotten a penalty. So anyway, sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm, I will, I will get on my soapbox. So let's no, not do that. That's yeah. a great example um, because that's, that's a situation I definitely remember. I, I had forgotten it, but uh, as soon as you referenced it, I remember, thinking that uh, could you imagine if that was the pirates in that situation we got a ball <laughs> like kumar rocker did but uh you know, shifting over to the pirates uh obviously unprecedented success under cliff godwin over the last several seasons uh having having hosted a, a regional now in uh, four consecutive years played in three straight super regionals and i know you guys at d1 baseball are very high on the pirates once again as you have them 11th in your preseason poll yeah, and I think it's it's um when you're ranking teams in the preseason, you know, you are kind of throwing darts. It, it, the, the analogy I would give you is it's kind of like picking stocks. And so you're just looking for things you can trust and things you can believe in. And, you know, to your point, Bubba, like what Cliff has done at ECU is just it, it's so consistent. If I'm not mistaken, you guys may know this. I believe there are only two schools that have hosted four consecutive regionals. Does that yes, sound sir. right? East, Car right. East Carolina and Stanford. Yeah. So, I mean, insane consistency, you know, and this is no disrespect to the rest of the American, but until further notice, you know, if you're a prognosticator, you have to assume East Carolina is going to dominate the American again because they just keep doing it. Um, and, and, you know, I don't see another American roster where you're like, oh, yeah, like th this, this, program has built for this year and this is their best team in seven years you know the other teams seem like they always do which is talented and good but not in the same class as ECU you know and I think so you've got the consistency of Cliff and his coaching staff the momentum of the program and then you start looking at the roster and you're like yep there's a familiar name there's a familiar name there's a familiar name you know Carter Spivey comes back as the American pitcher of the year and you start looking hey and you start looking at guys like Josh Moylan and you're like man he you know, by his standards, he had a terrible year last year. And this still was a team that was, a, you know, a couple pitches away from Omaha. So I, I think, 
not that you guys asked me to defend the ranking, but I think that's the thing. You start looking at East Carolina and you're like, man, I trust this. I trust this. I trust this. I trust this. And next thing you know, they're 11th. And uh, Mike, I was going to tell you as far as uh, one thing that Coach Godwin even talked about, so it's not just those of us to follow the program. Uh, and you probably already know the pitching this year is probably the best Cliff has ever had. And so uh, it's very deep between when you look at the starters versus uh, the bullpen. So that's the one thing that I know that with baseball, if we want to ever go to Omaha and have a deep run, we need the pitching. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing that's easy. You know, I, I guess I'll say it this way, like of, of the teams that Cliff has had recently, last year's team was you know, in theory, the closest to Omaha, right? You were hosting the Super Regional. You weren't on the road. You won game one. You had a lead late in game two, if memory serves. I mean, I guess technically you could say the 2016 team was 90 feet from Omaha, uh, but you're on the road playing Texas Tech. Um, th this just felt like, okay, this is destiny. Um, but if you really think about it, and you guys know this better than anybody, last year was not a vintage ECU team, you know, you know, just based on injuries, you know, just the, the pitching really had become a patchwork situation. So you start thinking about if, you know, Spivey transitions well to the, the rotation, that's a huge positive. You know, Josh Groves is really talented. Trey Yusevich has a great arm. You, you know, we, we, the other thing we know is we know that, um, you know, Jeff Palumbo, these guys can recruit. I mean, East Carolina is really recruiting at a high level. So I, 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 um, I hadn't heard anyone say that yet, Dave, but I like it. Like that makes perfect sense to me that, you know, for sure, I feel like this pitching staff is deeper than last year. Where do you miss an East Carolina recruiting at a high level? Who do you see coming in this year uh, from the high school ranks or the transfer portal for the Pirates that's going to make an immediate impact? You know, I don't, I don't know their recruits as well as, you know, like, cause I think the, th the neat thing about what East Carolina does in recruiting is they, they don't recruit the high school Americans typically, you know, like they have a real, they have a real niche and, you know, they do recruit a lot of left-handed hitters. I love that. But, you know, when, when I look at projections and Hey, a freshman like Nathan Crisman is probably going to be the starting shortstop, like, Hey, I, I would, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money. That kid's a really good player because freshmen don't start at ECU unless they're really good players. You know, on the pitching side, the kid Zach Root sounds really, really interesting. You know, obviously ECU's had some excellent left-handers and for him to be, maybe be the Tuesday starter as a, a true freshman, that's impressive. So those are the two names that really jump out at me. Dixon Williams is another name that, that I've heard about, but you know, I, I think that's the other part of this is at ECU, man, you, you got to be a special player to play as a freshman because there are there are good players um, that have already been here. And also to want to mention, too, that, uh, by the way, runs we had three is it three straight years. I believe Bubba off the top of my head. Uh, we've sold out season tickets. We are with Clark LeClaire holds five thousand. And I believe we can only sell like twenty three, twenty five hundred. Is that right? No, um, according to. Head of the ticket office, Coleman Spain. I asked him that question. I think last year we were between twenty two and twenty three hundred. This year we sold more than twenty seven hundred. Oh wow! So I, don't, I, I don't know if they increased that allotment like you, Dave. I thought that the number was closer to twenty three, twenty four hundred, but yeah. we managed to sell twenty seven hundred this year and sold out of all the tickets that were allotted for season tickets and uh, and everything else. Um, you. If you want to sit in the grandstand, you're going to have to buy it from uh, an individual uh, or maybe a handful of individual game tickets uh, or, or you'll be out in the jungle. 
but uh, right. that's a great, no. great problem to have. That's and, right. Uh, you know, kind of going back to uh, what you were saying, Runes, as far as you have freshman Nathan Chrisman, who's from um, just down the road from me, uh, right here in China Grove. Um, him as well as um, also fellow freshman Connor Rasmussen um, at shortstop. Um, you also have Joey Barini that could factor in. Um, even third baseman Amac Alec Makarevich uh, could be uh, used there, and depending on how things go. Uh, so you definitely have um, plenty of options. It's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. But you mentioned pitching. Um, we we have five or six guys that could start: Carter Spivey, Garrett Saylor, Jake Hunter, Josh Groves, etc. But then um, the left-handed pitching is is really unproven you mentioned zach root he's an option there eric ritchie Merritt beaker who saw some action a year ago and then also texas a&m transfer jonathan childress uh, so uh, outside of shortstop that's one of the areas that i'm really interested to see on um, those left-handed arms on the mound and how they develop gotta love it what um before we uh keep going boys i want to ask you so I every time I do your podcast, I think about Ronnie Woodward, who is my favorite. Like you guys, old beat writer. Who yes. is the new beat writer? I need to. I need a new follow on Twitter to keep up with Patrick my pirates. Yeah, who is Patrick, it? Patrick Mason, and, okay, and I'll send you his. Uh, a great guy, you'll love him. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah, see, Ronnie I'll was see. great too. That's awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll put Patrick's Twitter handle up on the screen here momentarily. Perfect. Rudy, um, if you look here early season, we mentioned up into the season with George Washington. Nothing too exciting there, but week two, the Pirates and Tar Heels go at it, two in Greenville, one in Chapel Hill. Uh, what are some other early season games, non-conference, obviously, that uh, that that or series, I should say, that uh, that, that that get your interest in the first couple weeks of the season? You know, like the um, it's interesting. Like we we we're starting to have these tournaments. Teams are really liking to play these tournaments. And so you guys know, I live in Arizona, and we get a bunch of teams that are coming here for these these tournaments. And so I'm going to actually see Tennessee play twice opening weekend. They'll play Arizona, which will be fun. And then they'll Arizona's got a good club. And then I'll get to see them play uh, uh, Grand Canyon. Who Grand Canyon's got a you know their shortstop Jacob Wilson is the son of Jack Wilson who played forever for the Pirates. And so, you know, Grand Canyon, back-to-back regionals, they're ranked. The um, the, the other tournament, it keep, the name, I always mess up the name, but it's the tournament where you get a bunch of Big 12 teams and you get a bunch of SEC teams. So you'll have Texas will play Arkansas in that deal. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it, they played at Globe Life, I believe, is where they, they typically play it every year. So, you know, like that's really fun. Stanford and Cal State Fullerton. I mean, Fullerton's not... They're, they're kind of in, in this rebuild, so they're not who they were. Oh, I think Vandy and TCU might be in that tournament also because I see they're going to play opening weekend as well. So, you know, you get you start getting teams like that going. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I'm just – I'm excited for just let's get this thing rocking. You know, it's it's uh, it felt like the offseason was kind of long because the draft is so late now. But uh, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to get this thing flipped on. It's going to be a lot of fun. As, as a matter of fact, by the way, I want to mention to you, Runes, that last year the Pirate uh, faithful were very upset. We lost uh, – we got swept by Bryant last year, if you remember the opener. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and people were just going nuts, like, you know, in the panic room and everything in Pirate Nation, and it was it was bad. Uh, Coach Godwin talked about that last year. Apparently there was a lot of distractions behind the scenes and not even dealing with the Carson Wisenhunt thing with the – 
all that stuff right before the season started where whatever he took at GNC that uh, he couldn't uh, participate, unfortunately. And uh, with a substance, whatever it was banned, and he took it, he didn't know. And uh, there was just a lot of distractions. And apparently this team, after they lost to Bryant, um, they they uh, have been really this offseason in the fall ball. They've been working really hard because they don't want to have a repeat of that was really embarrassing to them, and they're not going to have it again. So we'll see how it plays with George Washington. But uh, not a great way to start the season. But then you go 20, win 20 games in a row. Um, was really cool that I didn't expect, but it happened. You know what's interesting for you guys is East Carolina, like the analogy, I was thinking about this this morning, the analogy for me has become, they, they've kind of become like Coastal Carolina, where, you know, Gary Gilmore had built in that into such a powerhouse, but, you know, and, and, and you know, Gary was, obs- as we all would have been, obsessed with getting to Omaha, and then it just kind of felt like I'll never forget his 2010 team that lost to South Carolina and Coastal was the team hosting that Super Regional. And yeah. I'll never forget Gary's post press conference afterwards. He's like, they had won 55 games and they they didn't go to Omaha. And Gary's like, I I, I don't I don't know I don't know what to tell you. I, like I I can't put a better team on the field than what you just saw. Like it's not possible for me to get 20 players better than what just happened. And that wasn't good enough for Omaha. I, you know, he was just—you could see—he was like shook up. Like he was like, "I don't know what to do." And then, sure enough, six years later, they're winning the national title. So that—that that will be interesting. Like East Carolina could very easily do that when they eventually get to Omaha. Just be a complete nightmare for other teams when they get there. That's kind of how I vision it. You know, and I, we saw Coastal do it, and uh, I kind of vision. You know, we—we've—that's we, been the goal so long. You, you, it's the hill to climb. We've—we've we've almost, I think mentally like if you look back at this texas game game two we mentally beat ourselves we blew a game and we you know we should have beat texas game game two. and i, I, I kind of look at it like once we get to omaha i think the pressure will be off i think we put so much pressure on ourselves going back all the way to keep leclerc to get to omaha i think when we make it to omaha the pressure will be off and who knows what will happen once we finally make it there we could do like coastal go there and uh win the whole damn thing and speaking of coastal we played them in the regionals last year to, um, to to advance to the Supers. And um, Coastal's always a program in that Sunbelt Conference now that I always look at. And, you know, obviously they won the national championship. And I always scratch my head as to why East Carolina and Coastal don't play in the regular season. Um, mm. I've, he- I've heard that there's the Gilmore and uh, Coach Godwin aren't the best friends. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I've heard that. Um, but uh, it to me, that that's a game that needs to be played um, in the regular season on a weekend, maybe a midweek if we meet at a neutral site. But uh, East Carolina Coastal needs to be played more often. It's super fun playing them in the regionals. Yeah, I'd be up for that. No question about it. Uh, let's talk about branch out more than uh, East Carolina now. Let's talk about the conference with AAC. Besides East Carolina, are there other teams that you're looking at that are maybe surprise, uh, surprise teams this year in the American? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, the team that jumps out to me is Houston. Houston seems really interesting. They were, they won 37 games last year, but they only won 13 games in the American. And they've just got a lot of those same kids back. The catcher, Anthony Tulamero's back, you know, the, their shortstop McMillan's back. And that, you know, they just have a lot that Zach Arnold kid who was the transfer from LSU. He's back. Drew Bianco, Mike's son has transferred there, you know, graduate transfer from LSU so if they get a little better pitching and they do have a bunch of pitching back 
Um, and, and they did a nice job in the transfer portal as well. I think, I think Houston is going to be the team that gives probably East Carolina the hardest time. The other program that is interesting to me right now is UCF. You know, it, it seems like they've got kind of a nice roster and surging a little bit. Um, you know, just those Florida schools, gosh, they have the, the transfer thing. Can, it's almost impossible to follow. They, they almost like jump from Florida school to Florida school like it's community college or something. But, um, you know, I, 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 like, I like UCF's roster. McCabe, the catcher, is a uber veteran. Romero, the first baseman, same thing. These are, you know, Jostin at second base. Those, all three of those kids are fifth-year players, if not sixth-year players. So if, if UCF can stay healthy on the mound, I think they've got some good, you know, they've got some good arms there. I think that's going to be the three. Honestly, it's going to be – it's going to come down to ECU, UCF, and Houston. What do you think about a couple schools that – have a lot of history and tradition, not much success in recent years. Uh, Tulane and Wichita State. Yeah, I, you know, Wichita State. Eric Wedge is no longer there, and um, uh, uh, Lauren Hibbs, who was the longtime coach at Charlotte, um, who's a, a Wichita State guy. When he retired from Charlotte, he went out there just kind of uh, to be an ops guy. And so, um, you know, he was when when um, when you know that was in the middle of this year that Eric Wedge has stepped down. So that was a at least they had Coach Hibbs there to do it. I I think Wichita State is interesting. I think they'll be frisky. They've got some good players, you know, like that Brock Rodden kid, their second baseman who hit 17 bombs. He's back. And so there's some good players on the roster. I just I don't know. You know, like they really struggled last year. And so, you know, it, it you know, nine and fifteen in the league, twenty-one and thirty-six. So it's it's hard to unsee that. But I, I do think they've got some talent there. Who was the other one that you asked about, Kyle? Tulane. Tulane. Yeah, you know, same thing, right? Like you've got – I felt like Travis Jewett had them right on the cusp of things and they just couldn't pop through. And, um, you know, they moved on from Travis. He's now at USC as an assistant coach. And it's so ironic, right? Like they, they, um, they fire Travis Jewett. And then hire his assistant coach. I mean, just really weird. Like you don't see that in any sport, really. But Jay Olman is a guy that everybody really likes. I mean, he's a great person. You know, college college baseball lifer. Um, they got hammered in the transfer portal. So when Tulane, you know, terminated Travis Jewett, you know, their best players all ended up in on you know mostly on SEC rosters, if not uh, Wake Forest got one or two players. So. I, I just don't know how good Tulane could be given that their best players are gone. Yeah. Well, let's move on now to the ACC. And uh, what are your thoughts there? Are they usually a good baseball conference? Uh, what about this year? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it'll be good again. You know, I, I think the one thing, the SEC did not have a good year in pitching last year, um, mostly because of injury. And that typically is the difference between the ACC and the SEC to me is pitching. Um, the ACC's got some incredible position players. What, what's really interesting about the league this year, in my opinion, is that Wake Forest is a program that I think a lot of people have felt they've made wagers on only to be kind of left at the altar. You know, you just get really disappointed. But they have incredible talent right now. I mean, you look at Wake Forest is going to have some real draft picks on this team. Their third baseman, Brock Wilkin, is you know, a monster. They hit a ton of home runs. Speaking of Tulane, they've got Tulane's catcher Bennett Lee there. Their first baseman, Nick Kurtz, is a stud. Um, you know, if you look at on the mound, Rhett Lauder's a first-team All-American. You know, McGraw and Hartle, the rest of the rotation, highly touted. They're going to be draft picks. 
Uh, Camden Menashe, who's their closer, is you know really really good. The question becomes: Do do we really believe that Wake Forest is the class of the league, not like a Louisville or a Miami or you know a Notre Dame or North Carolina? And that's where we stand right now: is we just feel like Wake Forest is the most talented roster. Um, Louisville has a tremendous position player group. They do have some significant losses from last year. Uh, the question is on the mound. You know, like we just don't know these Louisville pitchers very well. Miami is kind of they have the, the top end of the roster is excellent. Um, the depth of the roster is in question. You know, NC State is who they are. They're just they, you know you know they're going to hit. Florida State's another interesting one, and I guess I'll throw Clemson in here too, where. You know, those are those are two great hires those programs made. I mean, for Florida State to snag Link Jarrett from Notre Dame and for Clemson to snag Eric Backage from Michigan, those are two really good gets, not only for their programs, but for the league. And what do those two guys have in common? Both ties to East Carolina and Keith LeGlair. There you go. Was was uh, Link one of Keith's uh, assistant coaches? He was an assistant. He was a hitting coach for Billy Godwin, that 2009 uh, right, team that won the regional against South Carolina and then lost in the Supers against North Carolina. Um, yes, uh, Link Jarrett was um, Billy Godwin's hitting coach for multiple years and then obviously moved on to UNCG and then yep. and then uh, Notre Dame. And Eric Backage, of course, played for Keith. Yep, that, that is so cool. That's one of my favorite things, those guys that played for Keith. Um, you, uh, we were talking about the ACC, uh, as I mentioned earlier, week two of the regular season, East Carolina plays, uh, North Carolina and then midweek we play Duke. So, uh, two early uh, ACC opponents for, uh, the Pirates. What are your thoughts on the Tar Heels and the Blue Devils? You know, I think the thing with Duke is it, that was just an unusual down year for them. Uh, so I just, I don't think that they're going to go 10 and 20 in the ACC again. You know, they have a shortstop, Alex Mooney, who played every day as a freshman last year, who, you know, scouts just love. Hey, they they snagged a uh, transfer center fielder in January, uh, Gio DiGiacomo, who had, you know, he's got he's got played a lot at LSU. And so I think I think Duke is interesting. Um, you know, the the Luke Fox kid is out for the year on the mound. So that'll hurt them. They, they need to they didn't pitch great last year. So that that's going to need to come on. But I just I think Coach Pollard, I think Chris Pollard is an excellent coach. So I think, you know, Duke's always challenging. North Carolina is interesting because they have a lot of those kids back from last year. You know, you, you'll recognize all the names. Frick, Osuna, Horvath is back at third base. I mean, this is year three for him. He kind of broke through last year 18 home runs he's a heck of an athlete so you know can he keep coming you know Vance Honeycutt is one of the best players in the country I mean this kid is a true freshman 25 home runs 29 stolen bases and I mean at least five sports center top 10 you know steal a home run in center field so uh, you know, the, the thing about North Carolina is I don't know that I love their pitching, but I don't hate it either. You know, Max Carlson has dealt with some injuries. So if he's fully healthy, he, you know, is he a real Friday night guy? I, you know, you guys know it. North Carolina's got talent and the position player group is pretty intimidating. No doubt. Yeah. You bring up Vance Honeycutt. Uh, he, he's from Salisbury, which is just 15 minutes up the road for me. But, uh, and he was a, Unbelievable two-sport athlete there. But uh, talking about the Tar Heels, and you guys have them at 12th. Uh, so that second weekend of the season uh, when we play that series, much like the one that's played between Clemson and South Carolina, where uh, this year we have 
uh, two in Greenville and then one in Chapel Hill. Uh, that's going to be a heck of a series. Yeah, I love that. That'll be, uh, you know, when, once you get out of the top 10, there's you're talking about teams with, you know, a little bit of question marks here and there. And so, I mean, like it is the last couple of years, I think whoever wins that East Carolina, you know, whoever wins that series when you guys play the Tar Heels, that's going to be a loud resume point. You know, like that's going to be something the committee's going to be looking at. Like, hey, this team won that weekend because, you know, you're almost guaranteed that the two teams will be in the postseason. Yep. Shifting over to the SEC um, in your preseason top 10 at D1 Baseball, you guys have seven SEC teams led by LSU as your preseason number one. Obviously, you had Tommy White, uh, Tommy Tanks, as they call him, uh, going to LSU from NC State. Um, last year, he hit 27 bombs, hit over 360, and drove in right at 75 runs. Uh, so talk about the addition of Tommy Tanks and then also the other guys to that LSU program and what Jay Johnson has going. Yeah, I mean, like Jay Johnson has LSU's program just on fire right now. You know, like they're killing the portal. They're killing NIL. Jay has always been very good at developing players. I mean, LSU is obviously a juggernaut. Um, it's not like they weren't any good under Paul Maneri. You know, won a national title, almost won a second one, six straight years of being a top eight seed. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you get Tommy Tanks from NC State. That's a huge get. And then remember, they got Thatcher Hurd from UCLA, who was the best freshman on the West Coast. They got the Paul Skeens kid from Air Force, who's going to be their Friday night guy. He's up to 101 miles an hour. Um, and LSU went from a team that great offense, not very good on the mound at all, not very good defensively at all. And they've kind of fixed those two things to now. They're pretty scary on the mound. And so, you know, Dylan Cruz is probably going to be the first pick in the draft. Trey Morgan's, you know, an all-American caliber player at first base. I mean, you know, LSU, is, it's almost comical where you just go around the diamond. It's like, yep, best in class there, best in class there, best in class there. It's, you know, they're, they're just, they're going to be, and of course that fan base is on fire. And I think the other cool thing is it's really LSU and Tennessee up there, one and two. LSU's a team led by their offense. Tennessee is a team led by their rotation. Um, but they're also two very frisky fan bases, too. So uh, that could be fairly explosive as well. Yeah, some of those Tennessee arms uh, squaring off against Tommy Tanks on must-see TV. No doubt. Yeah, can't wait for that. No question. Uh, so with the with SEC, I know with limited time, I know you've been generous so far. Uh, what about the Big 12? Uh, what are you seeing there as far as teams that are going to stand out, and who do you think will win it? Yeah, so the Big 12, what's what's really fascinating about that league this year is that most of the league, if you look carefully, it's brand new rotations. They lost a ton of pitching. Um, I, I really like Oklahoma State. I think that's my favorite team in the league. Uh, you know, the, just it's the you, East Carolina fans know this. Sometimes you just have dumb luck, right? Like last year, Oklahoma State hosts a regional and they get sent the preseason, a preseason top five team, Arkansas, as their two seed. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you supposed to do with that? And, you know, and and they have this epic regional. But Oklahoma State and TCU, I think, are the, the big teams to know there. Texas and Oklahoma have a lot of turnover. Texas Tech is interesting. Um, the roster does not quite look as talented as normal, but they, they, they always figure it out. So Big 12 will be formidable. You know, like I, I, I think those that when you think about TCU and Oklahoma State, for sure, those are Omaha caliber clubs. And hey, we'll look at one more league here, uh, Rooney, um, uh, not the Pac-12. I'm going to jump over to the Sun Belt for 
regional interest. Uh, our old friend Southern Mississippi looks like they may be the uh, class of the league this year. You always have Coastal as a contender, South Alabama, Louisiana Lafayette, Georgia Southern. Who was a did Georgia Southern make a super last year? No, they, they did. They hosted, hosted, yeah. yeah. So a lot of depth in that league. Uh, what, what do you think of the sum up? Yeah, I mean, a lot of depth might be the understatement of the year, right? Like it, it is. This is. Um, if you guys remember several years ago when when the American first happened, it was a four team league every year, right? Like yeah. you you were just getting four bids. And what's happened in that league is I feel like East Carolina has separated themselves above the league, and some of those other two other teams have slipped. Some UConn left. Yeah, yeah UConn leaves, and now of course there's the league's going to change again, and I think for the better, but. The Sun Belt is kind of like the new American, where they're going to be getting four teams in easy every year, I think. Um, you think about they added Southern Miss, which is a huge get. They added Marshall, who's building a new stadium. They added Old Dominion, who's very good. And they added, added J, JMU, James Madison, who's a solid program. So, And the league was already, you know, a... a really really challenging so i think it's i think that league's going to be a real headache you know like you, you there there are a lot of losses to be had there but i think it's going to be a really good postseason league and they're going to be getting four and five teams in every year you know 16 teams i mean that's a really good league yeah it's a great league and you mentioned the change of the american while it hurts us in football and basketball i do think in baseball it'll be an improved league uh starting next year uconn Great. came up a moment ago uh, obviously i mean uconn uh, in recent years, that's the program in the Northeast. Um, but you also have a program like Binghamton. Um, they had that major contribution. The player's name escapes me, but um, a new 60 or $65 million stadium, extremely nice, and they, they made a regional last year. Yeah, who knew Binghamton, right? $60 million baseball stadium. <laughs> yeah. Somebody somebody texted me about that. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. Can, can you explain why Binghamton has a $60 million college baseball stadium? <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty God funny. Bless him. At, it was pretty funny looking at the comments under that uh, the video of the facility, and just with students at Binghamton saying, "Hey, can we get our AC fixed in our dorm?" Right. It sure <laughs> does look gorgeous, though. But uh, Matt, Matt Simenza, one of our co-hosts here, he has a son who's in eighth grade, and um, I said, "Matt, I, he wasn't aware of it," and I said, uh, "You know, if he has an eighth Connecticut native." Yeah, he's a he's a Connecticut native, and so up in that area, I said if um, if your son Chase has an opportunity to play in Division One, and you know he's not coming to the South, then then Binghamton's a, a great option. Go Bearcats! It'll be interesting to see with a sixty million dollars stadium. You know, you would think they would immediately. Not a lot of great baseball programs in the Northeast. There are some UConn, St. John's, obviously, but you, you would think they may be able to turn that thing around and become a northeastern power in a hurry yeah and who knows you know you saw what the transformation committee is saying that hey you know it would be ideal if 25 percent of all division one teams made the ncaa tournament and i if if my math is correct that gets us up to like 75 teams i don't know if they'll pull if they'll do that oh, or wow. you know but um yeah that make it make more room for the binghamtons of the world so they're thinking about expanding the ncaa tournament for baseball I don't, I don't, I, I shouldn't say like, are they thinking about it? That's that, uh, that I couldn't answer that question, but that was a recommendation from the transformation committee that, you know, we, you really want your postseason designed for 25% of the student athletes, meaning that, that that's how much availability they want for it. Do you think that there's, um, I don't even know the words for this, but I've, I've often thought about it. Do you think that there's a place for an NIT in college baseball? 
I I don't because the kids, you know, we've backed the season up enough where the kids just want to get off into summer ball. Um, I, I like the idea of expanding. I, I don't know if I've talked to you guys about this, but I like the idea of maybe going to 72 teams. You guys know I like the idea of going to all best of three series. And I think you could mm-hmm. do something really fun with that, like a playing game Thursday night. And then the winner then plays a best of three series with the host school. Um, I think that would be really fun because you think about it like those those eight games on Thursday night, you it, it's sink or swim, you know, like you're talking about yeah. single loss elimination. So I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with all that. But um, it, it, I, I'm enjoying the conversations. That's for sure. When you put it that way and you mentioned playing games and everybody doing three game series, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, agreed. Agreed. Runes, another program that's been you know very successful you know, especially here within the region. And last year, you know, who knows if they don't, they don't get sent to Knoxville um, because they gave Tennessee everything they wanted. Um, and that's the Campbell Camels on what Justin Hayer's done there with that program. So, you know, be it Campbell or some other programs around the nation that are um, kind of flying under the radar a bit. Um, you know, tell us about some of those. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Like, the, um, I like the way you said that, Bubba. Like, Campbell really was an, uh, a headache for Tennessee in that regional. So, you know, their shortstop, Zach Neto, is gone. And, and also their, their right-hander, Thomas Harrington, is gone. But, you know, that other kid, Kate Keeler, is back, and he was dominant last year. So, you know, I, I think you, you just have to assume that Campbell is going to be very, very good again. They, they've just dominated the Big South. Um, they were 20 and three in the league last year and they, they just, they, they have a great niche. Well, you know, Justin Hare does a great job with that program. So, uh, I, I like them again, you know, I, you guys heard me mention Grand Canyon. That's another team that on the West coast, I think is a, you know, uh, that's a team to know about for sure. Uh, you know, you mentioned Connecticut They're, they, they have some turnover, but you feel like they'll be very, very good again. You know, Southeast Missouri state has kind of become the dominant force in the Ohio Valley recently. So, you know, in fairness, it is getting harder and harder for those schools to, um, to be at that level in college baseball, but there's still programs out there. You know, Gonzaga is another one. Now they, they have a lot of turnover this year, but those programs that just have a really good identity, they know where they get their good players. Um, yeah, that, it, it's fun seeing those those programs thrive. As far as uh, your neck of the woods, a Pac-12, how do you feel about that league? You know, Stanford is dominant. It's by far the best roster on the West Coast. Um, you know, they, they've got the Quinn Matthews kid back, their left-hander, who, you know, was was really their most important pitcher last year. He'll go to Friday night. They got the Braden Montgomery kid that, you know, 18 home runs as a true freshman. He throws 97 on the mound. Um, you know, they, they just, they have, um, they have so much talent on that roster. It's really comical. I, UCLA is very good. UCLA played a very young team last year and did fine. They won 40 games. Um, you know, Bryant Ward, little ECU tie right there, but those kids are sophomores now. And so, um, I think UCLA is the second best team on the West coast. And then you kind of have this bunching of Oregon, Oregon state and Arizona, um, I, I think the Pac-12 is is a is a league on the rise, but right now it's it's top heavy because Stanford's so good. As far as the Big Ten, we forgot that league. Uh, what about that league? I know that they uh, don't always give the credit they deserve because they're, I guess they're uh, in the Midwest and it's cold and they don't get a chance to really play home games till till later. 
Yeah. You know, I, I, I can be a little hypercritical of the Big Ten, and I just need to watch myself on that. It, it's not about the coaches and the players. They got great players, and their coaches are fantastic, and quite often they have great facilities. But I just, you know, too often the Big Ten kind of just takes their ball and goes home. You remember a couple of years ago, 2021, they did not play non-conference games. And that has crushed them in the last two postseasons. You guys remember this. The Big Ten got two teams in the NCAA tournament. In. Two. Now, the story in the Big Ten right now is that Rutgers and Maryland have become very, very, very good programs. Rutgers just missed making the NCAA tournament last year. They're To me, they're one of the first four out. Maryland hosted a regional last year. You could argue they should have been a top eight seed. Um, and then they, they did get beaten that Maryland has a lot of those same kids back. I think they will be excellent again. Um, they, they've got pitching back. They've got position players back. And I think Rutgers, you know, that this is the coach, Steve Owens, who was at Bryant when they got so good. Um, you know, th this guy's done a remarkable job at, at Rutgers. They've got a, a center fielder, Ryan Lasko, who's kind of like a mini Mike Trout, you know, kind of like this 5'10", 220 pound running back looking kid who's just a great baseball player. Um, so the, to me, those are the two teams that are the class of the league. And what about, uh, are, are there any surprises already teams are not maybe on the radar? We always ask you that every year. Are there ones that you have um, that you're like looking at that maybe would help our fans and Pirate Nation to, to look out for this year? Yeah, I would say this question comes up a lot this time of year and I don't have teams per se, but I'll tell you what I have is I have a couple leagues I'll give you. And one was what Kyle mentioned. I think if you're a college baseball fan, you really have to adjust your sights to start paying attention to the Sun Belt. It is really big. It's a new power league. I mean, it, this is 16 schools that take baseball very, very seriously. Um, and, and so I think the Sun Belt is a league that that has to be paid attention to. Out West, I would give you the whack. The whack has gotten really interesting. It, it Grand Canyon's become a powerhouse. Remember, Sam Houston is in the whack now. At least for this year, they go to Conference USA next year. And then um, the other school, uh, Cal Baptist, is now NCAA tournament eligible. And that's that's this uh, a really sneaky powerhouse program. Sacramento State, where Reese Hoskins went, is still really good out there. Uh, Abilene Christian is a is a they're putting a lot of resources into baseball so I think that's the other one I would give you you know Dallas Baptist has gone from the Missouri Valley to Conference USA oh, and wow. I don't know if that's going to be helpful for them I, I I'm concerned about that move quite honestly yeah uh, for what reason and then and the new conference USA starting next year it you know they'll have some Texas opponents with Sam Houston uh, etc what, what don't you like about the move what I liked about their setup in the Valley was that DBU could play a ferocious non-conference schedule. They could then play really – like they basically played the Big 12 and the SEC on Tuesday yeah. nights, and they knew they were going to get wins in the Valley. And no offense to the Valley, but Dallas, you know, they're the southernmost school. You know, they just have things that the, the Valley schools don't have. I don't know that they're going to have that luxury in Conference USA. Now, that said – I'm fairly confused by Conference USA right now. Like, Boy, the, even... the, the Conference USA start next year is is the wow. It is just – you're talking Jacksonville State. It don't make a lick of sense. Yeah, yeah. It's it's become like the Motel 6 of conferences right now. It's Even the whack is a little bit more 
homogeneous than Conference USA. So all that said, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Dallas Baptist's been good for a long time. So uh, probably not super smart on my part to doubt them, but we'll see. No question about it. So uh, is this the year I always ask you every year you come on that ECU makes the makes the trip to Omaha? I'm going to say no, Dave. I'm switching my answer. <laughs> I'm going to say no. It's right, not. Good. It's not. You guys can make summer plans. It's going to be good. Go for it. Go go rent a beach house for the week of J- uh, June 17th. That's what you need to do, Dave. It's on you. <laughs> I, I got tickets for Brooks and Dunn the, week, the first weekend of the College World Series and Bubbles. Like, College World no, Series is that weekend. I was like, I am not, not buying concert tickets for East Carolina that has been to, what, 33 regionals and not made the damn College World Series. I am not basing my concert plans on us making it to Omaha. It's a quality reverse jinx right there, oh, Kyle. Yeah, you I can see al- you always sell. That's right. I can always sell the tickets. Absolutely. It sounds good. Uh, Runes, we appreciate you coming on today so much. It's been uh, what an honor. Bubba, do you have anything before we go? No, just appreciate you coming on as always. And uh, you know, if your schedule allows, maybe mid-season, uh, we'd love to have you back. Yeah, let's do it. This is like my Groundhog Day doing the pod with you guys. It makes me feel like winter is ending and college baseball is coming. So always good. Always a pleasure. Appreciate yeah, it. Kyle, I think you saw your shadow, right? So we'll have six more weeks. <laughs> yeah. Are uh, you calling me a Groundhog Day, you son of a bitch? Oh, bye. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, Rooney, before we let you go, I know that uh, one more thing to plug. I know you guys have something new at D1 Baseball. Yeah. The SEC extra, do you want to plug that? And uh, Sure, your- yeah, yeah. So so everybody knows we have uh, the subscriptions to D1Baseball.com, and uh, we created a sub-site that is SEC Extra. So the, the main site still covers the SEC in quite a bit of detail, but SEC Extra is just a sub-site within there that people can pay for if they're just truly only SEC fans and they want to get a deep dive. That enabled us to hire Joe Healy, and um, Mark Etheridge, who's a longtime SEC guy, Joe Healy, remember, had been working for Baseball America. So, yeah, it's awesome. It, it enabled D1 to add some really quality people. And um, the hope is that the SEC Extra site does really well, and then we can just start doing it for other leagues, you know. That, but the SEC is kind of like the natural pilot for that. No doubt. And uh, as far as ESPN, when do you guys start? When will you um, start there coming up uh, next month? Yeah, so usually uh, right about now is when you start to hear from them. You know, obviously they're really um, tied up with basketball. So, uh, yeah, usually right around when the basketball tournament ends, you know, April 1st is when our ESPN schedules start to get super, um, you know, super busy. So uh, in the meantime, I'll enjoy the, the teams that come out here, um, you know, opening weekend. And Mike Farron and I have that show on Sirius XM that starts up uh, the week of the season. So, yeah, here we go. All right. Sounds like fun. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And uh, I know it, it seems like every time we have you on, do you have any HOA meeting or anything going on? <laughs> like no, no, it's in two weeks. I'll keep you posted. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate you as always, man. All right. See you guys. Be have good. good right, bye-bye. I appreciate Rooney. He's so great. Runes is the best. And uh, guys, before we go, I know Bubba, we got some upcoming content to talk about and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, Terrell Williams, um, you know, former East Carolina defensive lineman who was part of those Liberty Bowl teams in the mid-90s under Coach Logan. You know, he joined Jeff Connors last week, so if you haven't heard that, definitely go back and check that. Excellent conversation out. Uh, he spent, I believe, the last five or six seasons with the Tennessee Titans as their defensive line coach. And uh, this week, um, East Carolina linebacker, and then he finished his career as a fullback and then went on to a tremendous 
career in the NFL as a fullback, won a Super Bowl. And I'm, of course, talking about Vontae Leach. Uh, Vontae will be joining Coach Connors. Uh, so you'll you'll have that. Uh, we'll have Michael DeCourcy from the Sporting News as we talk college basketball and then a lot of other things headed your way as well. Um, early score from Minji's East Carolina 13, SMU 5, as we're four and a half minutes in. So hopefully that will uh, keep up and the Pirates can get a, a much-needed win, their 12th victory of the season, and get back to 500. Sounds good, 12 and 12 on the year, and hopefully we can do that. And uh, we're uh, – what, what is it? Did the, the, the ladies win today, I guess? They did. Um, the, the ladies won down at UCF by 14, and um, that final was 68-54. to 54. Pirates. So what's her record on the year now? Uh, I want to say it's either 15 and 7 or 15 and 8. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe hit NIT bound perhaps. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, depending on how we finish, I'd say it's a possibility. Yeah, it's a strong it's a strong possibility. In the next handful of games we'll see with uh, how – What, 6 and 4, 7 and 4 in the league? Yeah, uh, with fourth year with Kim and Neal, it's been uh, really good and – uh, with Joyner there, the freshman, she is so good. Uh, Meyer Joyner, she is really, really good and got a, what is it, two or three conference uh, freshman player of the week for the American. And um, I love watching her play. It's a lot of fun. All right, uh, we'll get out of here. Good luck to the Pirates. As, uh, uh, as Bubba said, it's early on, but they are looking good. A strong start for them. And uh, we'll certainly have uh, content about the basketball team and uh, certainly much more when it comes to football as well. Our, um, by the way, don't forget your football season tickets have gone on sale as just a few days ago on February 1st. You can get them 1-800-DIAL-ECU, ecpirates.com. You can go there anytime. And, uh, of course, you can watch here for all of the latest breaking news. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're doing very well and getting close to the 800 mark uh, there with, uh, with subscribers there. So appreciate very much. All right. Thanks to Mike Rooney. Thanks to Kyle Bubba. We'll get out of here. You've been watching the Sports Objective. Good day, everybody. And as always, go Pirates.